so many souls have tested him throughout the course of time so many still reach out to him with broken hearts and minds and every one of them will say without exception that they find that jesus never fails even in the days of old he brought his people through and he came to show his love to die for me and you then he rose again to prove that every story has been true that jesus
this morning. We're glad to see you. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's all stand together. Brother Kendall, come lead us. Let's make a joyful noise this morning as we sing. Amen. This morning we'll sing, Are You Washed in the Blood? We'll do three verses of that today. That's Are You Washed in the Blood? I was going a little too high. It's all right. Amen. Sunday morning. Mr. Barrett, can you make your way up here and lead us to the throne of grace, if you would? This is Robin's dad. We've known Robin and Stephen. This is Robin's dad. We're glad he's with us this morning, all the way from Georgia. Appreciate them coming. While he's coming to lead us to the throne of grace, I want to give you just a couple of prayer requests, continuing to lift up Brother Shane's family and the passing of his brother, Chris. Pray for Bill Martin family, folks. Um, uh, a lot of you know, Brother Bill, that is uh, uh, the brother-in-law of Barry Rowland. That's his wife, Tammy's brother. We've been praying for them for a while. And uh, he went home to be with the Lord this past week. Services are today. Pray for them, if you would. And remember, lots in our church this morning from our choir, others that are dealing with COVID. Pray for Renee's dad and others and he, her family that are dealing with COVID. Uh, we've got several who are out today because of it. But I'm glad you're here today and we're ready to hear from heaven. Amen. Mr. Barrett, you take us to the throne of grace, if you would. Pray for us, buddy, if you would. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity again to uh, worship you. Amen. Father, thank you for what I feel in my heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for how you've already blessed this morning and moved in this place. And now, Lord Jesus, I pray that everything done, every prayer prayed, every song sung, every word spoken, every testimony will bring honor and glory to you. For, Lord, you're worthy. 
Worthy is the Lamb that was slain for the foundation of the world. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are and what you do and how you bless. And I pray again in Jesus' name that it'll bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you, my friend. I want you to listen to the choir as we sing. I love this old song, At the Name of Jesus. I'm glad every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess. You listen as the choir sings.
Well, anytime we've got Robin and family here, we're going to sing this song. Amen. One of my favorites Kyla ever wrote, favorite lyrics she ever wrote, Come and feast your eyes on an empty tomb. Come and smell the fragrance where Sharon blooms. You listen as the choir sings, Something's Happening. Shepherds declare that angels announced his birth. That caused a stir. When men came asking, where is he that is born king of the Jews? We, Herod was filled with wrath. The babe is now a man teaching a new doctrine with compassion and authority. The people are following him. The chief priests and elders are outraged. There's a mob outside of Pilate's hall today. Something's happening. Something's happening in Pilate's Hall. On a porch, Pilate please, with an angry mob. In this man called Jesus, I can find no fault. Something's happening in Pilate's hall. I watched as his beaten, disfigured body fell beneath the load of the cross. His mother ran to him and the soldiers pushed her away. I heard the hammer fall and I knew that he was on the cross for the nails had been driven. The scoffers kept chanting, but I heard him speak words of forgiveness. There was a darkness over the earth and a great earthquake. Then I heard him cry from the cross, it is finished. We watched him die. Somewhere deep within my being, I know this is not over. Something's happening at Joseph's grave where Jesus of Nazareth has laid three days. Very early in the morning, the earth began to quake. Something 
job this morning. Appreciate you singing out, even though a bunch of us had COVID this morning. Not here. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Uh, I appreciate y'all singing out so hard this morning. Let me go over several announcements with you today. Again, we welcome you. Those of you who are joining us online, we are delighted to have you as well. First of all, Awana begins this Wednesday night. We're excited about that, ready to kick off a new Awana year, uh, beginning at 7 o'clock, ages 3, all the way up through the teenagers, and of course, our Bible study time here in the sanctuary. Reminder, this coming Saturday, our young adults' parents' night out at our house. Uh, my name is Renee's. the uh, uh, which is, of course, the home of the college president here locally. Address is in there. We begin at 5 o'clock. Uh, we're looking forward to a good time. You come and join us. We'll have some fun together. Next baptism is on Sunday, September the 18th. So if you've never followed the Lord in believer's baptism, see me or Miss Leanne. After the end of service, we'll get you those instructions, and we'll get you baptized on September the 18th. On Sunday, October the 2nd, we've got a wedding shower for Amber Mize and Landon Craig downstairs. Uh, their colors are listed. Their uh, registration is listed. Wedding is coming up in just a few weeks. So you please be praying for them. And then I've also provided for you uh, several upcoming dates where we've got some special things happening here at the church. On Sunday, September the 20th, a new group. Renee and I have known these folks for a long time. Never had them here. Uh, the Joy Heirs. We're, we're excited to bring them here on Sunday, September the 20th, October the 9th. We'll have the Wisnets, of course. Uh, we have them. This will be our 16th year hosting the Wisnets. And then on Sunday, November the 27th, we'll be having Children of the Promise with us during the Sunday morning services. You will love them. Uh, we're excited, so please mark those dates on your calendars. And then uh, I had mentioned to you last week about the date that we as a church were feeding the football team at Bassett High School, the junior varsity and the varsity. Uh, and doing that gives us the opportunity to get in there and pray with them and present the gospel. Uh, that date has changed. It has now been bumped to November. November the 4th, uh, the folks that are working with several churches, and we were happy to accommodate that, and it actually works well for us. So please mark your calendars. We're going to need lots of help that Friday night, uh, not only with serving, but some cooking, and I'll give you all of that instructions as we get closer, but please uh, mark your calendars for that. If you're going to help us with this year's drama and you haven't signed up, please do that really quickly after services today. And then uh, also right after services today, all of the security team, if you work on our security team, going to be a very, very quick meeting right up here at the front, Oregon side, five minutes right after church to go over a few things with you. Please keep that in mind. Then I realized this morning when I opened the bulletin that I failed to include this week's wedding anniversaries. So if you have a wedding anniversary this week, I'll include you in next week's bulletin. But here's what that means, husbands. You got to take your wives out twice. Can I get a witness, ladies? Amen. Last week and this week, you get to do it again. Thank you for being here today. Fellas, come on and make your way down this morning if you would. Be obedient to his tithes and your offerings and God will bless you. Ladies, y'all come get ready to sing for us. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we indeed count it an honor, a blessing, and a privilege to be in your house today. Lord, we are so grateful for the chance we have just to worship you on a Sunday morning. Lord, I know that there is a price to be paid for sacrificing to make our way here, but Lord, it is worth every mile, worth every sacrifice to get up and be at church on a Sunday morning. Lord, I pray that you bless those that are here, those that couldn't be here. Lord, I pray that you bless them. So many in our congregation and across our community still battling with COVID. Lord, I pray that you touch them. Lord, bless the preaching today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Sing, ladies.
Anybody say amen to that? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. All right. Ben, Michelle, y'all come on up this morning. Ben and Michelle, as they did with their older son, have come this morning to dedicate their new baby to the Lord. Let me, let me preface this really quickly. Y'all come on up here. Every time we do a baby dedication, you want, most of you know that there is a, another uh, pastor in our community who just goes bananas over this. And uh, he, he loves to get on TV, and now he's taken to writing editorials about me and the college. And, and I'm quite sure that, that we'll be on t his program again this week. And when we are, you don't need to text me. You don't need to call me, because look at me. I don't care. But I would ask you to do me a favor. Don't call or text Renee because she's, I'm, go, I'm going to have to take up an offering to bail that woman out of prison if he says anything else. I'm just telling you. <laughs> All right. Enough of that. The family is a divine institution ordained of God from the beginning of time. Children are a heritage of the Lord committed by him to their parents for care provision, protection, and spiritual training. It is good and it is godly when parents recognize these obligations and responsibilities and make the effort to carry them out. In this act of dedication, Ben and Michelle Moore acknowledge these responsibilities and come before us as their church family today to dedicate Rowan to God and to God's will for their lives. Stanley Town's Amazing Base Baptist Church, we dedicate children, we do not baptize them. Just as Hannah dedicated Samuel to the Lord in the Old Testament, and Joseph and Mary dedicated Christ in the New Testament, we believe dedication follows the biblical pattern rather than baptism, of which we have no example or precedent in Scripture of an infant being baptized. Understand that dedication does not impart faith, it does not impart forgiveness of sins, but rather, it's been in Michelle's public acknowledgement that Rowan is a gift of God and that they have the spiritual responsibility for this child. So Ben and Michelle, man, y'all make some pretty babies. Y'all need about half a dozen more. <laughs> ben and Michelle, you've, bought, you've brought Rowan before us today to publicly dedicate him to the Lord series of questions to ask you, and please affirm your answers with a simple, we will. Ben and Michelle, will you accept your God-given responsibility to raise Rowan in a Christ-centered home? And will you discipline him in your home and impart biblical knowledge and spiritual values to Rowan? And will you pledge to make your life's choices based on biblical values that benefit and strengthen faith within your family. Ben, as his earthly father, you have tremendous responsibility. For it is through the father that children recognize God in their lives. So will you give Rowan the time and attention 
and affection that he needs to show his father in heaven. And Michelle, as his earthly mother, you are the type of the Holy Spirit in the home. Will you give Rowan the special attention he craves and can only receive from his mother for which you are uniquely gifted by God? And we've got some family members in the back. So all of the family, would you all stand? Is that okay? All of the family. All of their family, please stand. All of their family. All of the family. All of them stand. Amen. Amen. Stay standing, folks, if you would. Congregation, I'm going to ask you all to stand. All over the building. If you're able, would you stand? And I have a question for us this morning. Congregation, will you pledge with me this morning as Ben and Michelle and Roman Callum's uh, local pastor and local body of believers, will you pledge to support and pray for them and hold them accountable to the commitments they've made publicly today? Would you signify by saying, we will? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the family. Before there was a system of government, before there was a church, before there was a Jewish nation, there was the family. The family, God is the first institution that you created that is uniquely for the benefit of man. Through Christ's crucifixion on the cross, God, you gave us the pattern for the home. He's the bridegroom and we're the bride. Lord, thank you for Ben and Michelle and their desire to raise these two boys in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Thank you for their desire this morning to dedicate their family to Christ. Lord, on the difficult days when the tempter comes to try to steer them awry, may they remember this day where they pledge this second child to God. Thank you, Lord, for Stanley Town's Amazing Grace Baptist Church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can be seated. Would you give this couple another round of applause? Appreciate y'all so much this morning. All right, uh, fellas, come on and make your way down one more time. Ladies, y'all come get ready to sing for us again. First Sunday of every month is always Mission Sunday here at the church. We collect a special offering. We give 14% of tithes and offerings back out to missions as an opportunity for us to be expressive of God's thanks and gratitude for what he's done for us. I'm grateful for the 70 missionaries that God allows us to support through your generosity. Lord, bless this mission offering. May it be what you'd have it to be. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.
Rejoice over. Boy, that's good, y'all. Wonderful. Wonderful. All right, everybody heading to Children's Church, Junior Church. Come on, make your way. Three and four year olds, uh, Children's Church, then Junior Church, Kindergarten, and uh, no, four and five year olds. Y'all know where to go. Come on, make it. Three and four year olds, and then uh, James and Anna have got kindergarten on up. Come on, make your way. Thank you, Miss Leanne. Y'all have only told me that 492 times. Man, it's good to see all of you this morning. Let's stand together, Brother Ken. Come lead us in one verse, uh, and we'll fellowship just a little bit today. One verse this morning, Brother Ken. No, if you're doing that song, let's do both verses. That's a good song. Amen. Amen. That's what we'll do. What a day that will be. Get us warmed up for what he has for us in the preaching hour. What a day that will be. Sing when I look upon his 
this morning please Luke 15 while you're turning thank you for your prayers for Addie one of the twins in our church she had a successful procedure is home recuperating but thank you for your prayers for her and then I mentioned to you last week about Hayward Atkins being the hospital he's now in VA hospital up in Salem so continue to pray for him I uh, when we found out that Robin and the family were going to be with us I told Renee I, I would love to hear this song this morning right before the service right before the preaching and and uh, i told her i said i uh, i want you to see if we can do it and and uh, ask miss lisa if she's able to sing i'm there's a reason i'm telling you this um when brother coffee told me a few weeks ago lisa wasn't here and i knew she had to be sick because she's always here that she had COVID again and you all remember two years ago that that uh, we almost lost lisa to COVID. and uh, i hope you won't think i'm selfish when i say this but the moment Brother Coffee told me, Renee and I got in the car, and I looked at Renee, and I said, I'm going to pray that God touches her, and I'm going to pray that she can still sing. Because I I love all of you, but I love to hear this lady sing. So uh, when Renee texted her and said, "Uh, can you sing? She said, I'm sure like to try. I heard him practicing this morning. God delivers again. I'll sing it out. Satan loves sound systems. He just loves them.
Aren't you glad that's the kind of God we serve? Amen. 
Wonderful job, ladies. Luke chapter number 15 this morning. Luke 15. Three weeks ago, we gave you a Sunday morning message on what is referred to as the parable of the lost sheep. We talked about the fact that Luke chapter 15 is referred to as God's lost and found department. And most preachers, and I'm one of them, who will tell you that there are three parables here. There's the parable of the lost sheep, which is, shows you just how far God will go to rescue one out of a hundred. There's the parable of the lost silver, which shows you just how far God will go to rescue one out of ten. And then there's the parable of the lost son, the prodigal son, which shows you how far God will go to reclaim that one out of two to rescue his child. But to be honest with you, there's another part of this chapter that seldomly gets mentioned. You see, there's another person in that third parable who is just as wayward and out of touch with God as the prodigal son. He's nameless. We know very little about him. And candidly, in my 46 years of being in church, I can't tell you a single message I recall anybody ever preaching about the elder brother. We direct all of our time and all of our attention and all of our energy to this story of the prodigal son. And please don't misunderstand me. It is one of my favorite passages to preach from. Most of you, uh, like me, will have to say amen to thank God he takes the prodigal back. Thank God we never get so far away from his grace that the goodness of God can't snatch us uh, and bring us back. Thank God when we do come back, uh, he's standing there on the porch waiting for us. And when he sees us, he runs and brings us home. And rather than killing us, which would have been his right. Uh, He kills the fatted calf, puts a ring on, gives us a robe, uh, and says, thank God my son's coming home. It's great preaching. I love it. But there's a part two to this story. And it's a part we just don't talk about. I think part of it is because of the significant emotional connection that most of us have to the prodigal son. But I think another part of it is the simple reality that You can be at the Father's house and still be out of God's will. And I think for many of us, it hits home the reality that you don't have to be wandering out there in the wilderness to not be right with God. Let's begin reading in verse number 25 of chapter number 15. Let's go back to verse 24. Daddy's speaking. For as this, my son was dead, is alive again, was lost and found, they began to be merry. Now, verse 25. Now, the, oh, his elder son was in the field. And he came and drew nigh to the house, heard music and dancing. I know that part scares Baptists to death. It's all right, church. Verse 26. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. He said unto him, the servant said unto the elder brother, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed thee, fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. 
And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. He answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. Yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meat. That means it was right. It was good. It was a smart thing to do that we should make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. I want to give you a message this morning that I'm entitling The Prodigal Brother. The Prodigal Brother. I'll remind you that Luke 15 opens with the scribes and the Pharisees pouring out criticism and condemnation upon Christ. The reason that Christ launches into these three parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost silver, the parable of the lost son, the reason that he launches into these three parables is to let the criticizing scribes and Pharisees know that there was no limit to the extent God would go to rescue that person who was fallen. Because the criticism that the scribes and Pharisees heaped upon him was so specific. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Luke 15. They drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners... That means the bad people of society. The ne'er-do-wells, the castaways, the ones who were not welcome anywhere else, they came to hear the Lord. And the Pharisees in verse 2 and scribes murmured saying, here's the criticism, this man receiveth sinners. And oh my gosh, can you believe it? He eateth with them. That's how I know Jesus was a Baptist. Somebody say amen right there. I'm just kidding. The criticism that they heaped upon Christ, is that he deigned, he dared, he lowered himself to the point he would dare to, to, to sit down with, intermingle with, and God forbid, eat with sinners. The Pharisees thought they were criticizing. What they didn't know is that they were giving him the best compliment you could have given him. What they didn't know is that in Luke 19.10, he said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He wasn't here uh, to rescue those that thought they didn't need God. He was there uh, to rescue those who understood uh, that they were sinners uh, separated from God uh, and stood in need of a holy God. And so God, uh, through the form of Christ, launched into these three parables, uh, the lost silver, the lost sheep, the lost son, to let them know there is no depth, uh, no boundary, uh, no far too way uh, that God will go to bring the lost lost sheep, the lost silver, or the lost son back home to the fold. But he doesn't end there. Far too often, 
Luke 15 ends with verse 24. Let's be merry. The sun is home. Let's celebrate. Let's have a wonderful time. And we never read down through the rest of this chapter. Why? Can I give you Gregology? It's because I think far too often our churches are full of prodigal brothers. I think far too often our churches have way too many individuals who think that because they're in church, they're, they're trying to dress right, they're trying to do right, that their rightness makes them right with God. If you were in Sunday school this morning, James brought a fantastic message that reminded us that there is nothing that we can do, there's nothing that we can say, there's nothing about us that warrants the good grace that God gives us. None of it. It's a reminder this morning that the younger brother was lost in a far country, but the elder brother was just as lost even though he was at daddy's house. I want to give you three things this morning. Note this brother's respectability. Note his respectability. By all outward, hear me now, by all outward appearances... The older brother was the good one of the two. The older brother uh, was the one who didn't leave home. The older brother uh, was the one who did what daddy said. The older brother uh, was the one who didn't bring shame and sorrow upon the name of his father. Ask anybody in town. Ask anybody around. Ask the servants. Uh, There were two brothers. Uh, One was a disappointment and the other was a hero. In fact, Scripture makes pretty plain that he's a leader. How do you know, preacher? Because Bible describes him as the elder brother. And that means, as the older brother, uh, he's entitled, according to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 17, he's entitled uh, to two-thirds of his father's inheritance. It's called the doctrine of the double portion. The doctrine of inheritance to the older child goes two-thirds of the estate. To the younger child would have gone one-third. No matter how many children there are, it's the older brother, it's the elder brother who's the leader. So when the father passes away, not only will he get all of the father's possessions, he will become the legal and the religious head of the family. Moreover, because the younger brother had already asked for that which was entitled to him, the older brother in reality owned everything. When daddy passes away, the older brother had access to everything. In fact, to be candid with you, if we're honest, this this older brother is of all people most blessed. Let me say that again. Of all the people, this older brother is of all people most blessed. Can I, can I just pause a moment and tell you that I'm becoming increasingly convinced that we are a society today that's become addicted to our outrage. We become addicted to, to talking about how bad things are for us. We become addicted to racing towards the oppressive state. We become addicted to talking about how wretched things really are and how bad it is for us and how oppressed and how terrible and how horrible things are for us. Would you look at me, church? If we're honest, there's not a single one of us in this building that's got any reason to complain. There's not a, I I love y'all, but I don't see a single hungry person in the building. 
Most of y'all are like me. You could afford to skip a meal or two. Somebody say amen, and the rest of you who couldn't, you need to get saved because we're Baptists after all. Amen. The reality is, folks, uh, God has blessed us far more than what we deserve, far more than what he should have, uh, and it's not because of who you are uh, or who your daddy is or what you've done or what you're capable is. Uh, he's blessed us because he loves us. Uh, he's blessed us because he likes us. Uh, he's blessed us uh, because we're part of his family, uh, and just like you enjoy doing for your family, God sure enough loves doing for his youngins as well. The point is this kid had everything. He was a leader. Not only was this young man a leader, this fellow was also a laborer. Where was he when, when, the, when the younger brother came home? In the fields. Notice what it says, verse 25. Now his elder son, look at this, was, look at that prepositional phrase, in the field. He's busy doing what he's supposed to have been doing. While the younger brother is off in the country living it up, the older brother uh, stayed home and worked. And by all accounts, he's working hard. It seems uh, that all is well in the family and that there's a good relationship between the father and the older brother. If you'll indulge me, I want to I go down a two-minute rabbit trail in, in honor of the fact that this is Labor Day. A uniquely American holiday set aside to recognize those Americans who understand that work is not a four-letter dirty word. A Labor Day holiday set aside to commemorate the fact that America, I think the greatest country, sorry, Brother Smith, the greatest country that's ever been breathed on this planet. I love you, preacher. Amen. A day to set aside. To, he's my buddy. Y'all looking at him like he's going to get mad. He's okay. I promise. A day to set aside the simple reality that America was founded upon, hear me now, the Judeo-Christian work ethic. I've shared this story. I think some of I've shared it privately with a few of you. I'm not sure if I've ever shared it publicly, but I'm going to do it this morning. Right before the pandemic, Dr. Godwin, who was at the time my boss at the college, was invited to serve on a regional panel discussion about economic development and employment in our community. She wasn't able to go because she was traveling, so she asked me to attend in her stead. Went to the event, sat and listened all day, and took lots of notes. It was good, and then... I was tasked with serving on a panel discussion for what would be the last part of the day. It was me and two other panelists. I was the education leader. There were two other community leaders there. And at the end of the panel discussion, uh, we got to the very last question of the very last session of the day-long event. And the question was asked of each panelist, what do you see is the greatest crisis facing our community? And I thought to myself, hmm, do they really want me to tell them what I think? We got to the first panelist. And the panelist, I'm all the way down to the right, he's all the way down to the left, said, I think the greatest crisis facing our community, now this is three years ago, right before the pandemic, is the fact that there are no good paying jobs in this community. I started biting my tongue because I could show him the data that shows just the opposite, but I sat there like a good little soldier. And then we got to the second panelist, and 
This individual said, and don't y'all react when I say this, but he said, the greatest crisis facing our community today is how badly we fail the unemployed by not providing them the services and support that they desperately need. And I I told y'all not to react. And I was sitting there biting my tongue so hard that I could taste the blood draining down my throat. And then it got to me. And he said, Dr. Hodges, what do you think is the greatest crisis facing our community today? And there's, I don't, for me, there's this moment where you're kind of dancing on a razor blade and you got to make a decision. And for me, it was, do I tell him the truth and give him the facts and think I'm going to get fired when I walk out of here? Or, or do I placate him and just go to the house? And there was that side of me that says, placate him, end the session, get out of here. Then I thought, no, this might be the only time they ever get to hear the truth. So I said, the greatest crisis facing our community today is that we have abandoned the Judeo-Christian work ethic that made us a great society, and we have a labor participation rate hovering at 55%. The moment I said that, one of the panelists stopped and said, wait a minute, Dr. Hodges, our unemployment rate is only 5%. I said, you're exactly right. That's part of the problem. The unemployment rate is less than 5%. But the participation rate, and if you don't know what that is, uh, that means uh, the, per, the rate of people uh, ages 25 to 65 uh, who are eligible to work, only 55% of them are working. The other 45% are not working, uh, and they're not showing up in the unemployed. Uh, it's a group of individuals who said, I'm not going to work. And I said, that's not a sustainable model. And then I said it would be two minutes. I lied. It might be 20-minute rabbit trail. And then the panelist all the way to my left leaned forward and said, Dr. Hodges, aren't you also a pastor? And in my 22 years of being your pastor... I have learned that in a secular society or when I'm working as the president or the vice president at the time and someone says that, what comes next is never good. But I said, yes, sir, I am. I'm the pastor of Stanley Town's Amazing Grace Baptist Church in Stanley Town, Virginia. And he said, well, have you ever read the book of Ruth? And I said, once or twice. And he said, does the book of Ruth not plainly teach and demonstrate that those who have are commanded to take care of those who don't? And I said, well, it really depends on how much of the book of Ruth you're actually reading. Because in reality, there is a scriptural reference that's not from the book of Ruth, that rather is from the book of Leviticus, that Ruth personifies, that says individuals are allowed to glean on the fringes. And I said to him, two things you need to remember. Number one, the people got to get up and go to the field. The field don't come to them. And then I said, number two... Number two, and far more importantly, those people are called beggars. And they get up every morning, 
and they go and glean on the edges of the field. And they work in the hot, sweaty sun, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve hours a day, and they go home with enough grain to feed their family one day. And then I stood up and I said, I love this community. And I love the people in this community. And I'm not the least bit interested in them spending their lives begging on the fringes of society. I'm far more interested, I said, in these individuals in this community getting up and going and exercising that Judeo-Christian work ethic and going to their place of employment and earning enough money to live in a nice house and drive a nice car and have clothes on their back and, 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 and food on the table and be able to take a family vacation and be able to stack the dinner plate. And if mama don't want to cook on Friday nights, for her to look at the family and say, we're going to McDonald's or we're going to Taco Bell or we're going to one of the 27 Mexican restaurants we got in this community. I'm not interested in being beggars. I don't want this society, this community, to spend their life in beggary. I want them to hunker down right in the middle of the field of grace and let that basket be open so God can drop handfuls of purpose all over them. And then... And then the facilitator shut it all down. <laughs> True story. I got in the car. I called Renee. And I said, you might have to go get a job. I think I'm fired. <laughs> and she said, what happened? And I told her. And she said, you better call Dr. Godwin. <laughs> so I hung up and I called Dr. Godwin, and she said, Dr. Hodges, how, how are you, sir? And I said, well, I'm okay, but I'm nervous. <laughs> and she said, what happened? And I told her what happened, and she took a deep breath, and she said, well, here's the good news, Dr. Hodges. I don't think either you or I have to pencil that event in on our calendar for next year. Amen. <laughs> Church, would you look at me? We're having a good time this morning, but here's the reality. God's word is plain. He never values laziness. In fact, the Old Testament makes very, very plain that someone who won't work is worse than an infidel. And the New Testament, Paul says to the church of Thessalonica, you don't want to work? Fine, you don't get to eat. We are, we are biblically commanded to take care of those who cannot help themselves, but are never told to take care of those who will not help themselves. Let me give you that's the end of the rabbit trail. Number one this morning, his respectability. Quickly, number two, his resentment. His resentment. Heading home after a hard day in the fields, this brother hears the sound of celebration at his house. He's confused because as far as he knows, there's no reason for this kind of celebratory excitement. He's lived there perhaps all of his life. He's never heard anything like this. And so he calls one of the servants and says, what's going on? And the servant says, your brother's home. Your daddy's killed the fatted calf. There's a party. Let's go. Come on. And now this boy's resentment really begins to manifest itself. You can see it in his motives. Because Scripture makes it very plain. He absolutely refused to go in. 
When he heard the reason for the celebration, when he heard the rationale for the celebration, when he heard that it was for his baby brother, uh, when he heard that the calf had been killed, uh, when he heard the music and the dancing and the celebration, uh, he stood on the outside and said, there is absolutely no way I'm going in to take part of that. Scripture says the father came out, pleaded with him. I want you to look at what he says in verse 29. The son, he answering said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. If you write in your Bibles, I'd encourage you to underline the word serve. It comes from a Hebrew word that also means slavery. This was not the son saying, Daddy, I've done what you wanted me to do all these years. Uh, This was not the son saying, I've been a good boy. Uh, This was the son uh, looking at his daddy uh, and saying, I've been your servant. And this is how you treat me? This is that son, hear me now, turning up his nose in spiritual indignation and saying, I'm better than my brother. I deserve that, not him. Hear me this morning. I'm afraid today uh, that this same attitude can be seen in far too many of our independent fundamental Baptist churches. I'm afraid today, church, uh, that there are far too many uh, others uh, who look at the Lord uh, and turn up their noses in righteous indignation when somebody uh, that's got a wicked past gets saved. I've seen too many godly sisters when somebody walks the aisle to rededicate their life or to get saved. I've seen too many godly folks look around and say, "Mm, wonder how long that'll last. Mm, Wonder how long it'll be before he's back at it. Wonder how long it'll be before she's back where she came from. Hey, if it wasn't for the goodness of God, every one of us would be back where we came from. It ain't because of who you are or what you did. You didn't earn your salvation. You don't keep yourself saved. And if God can keep me saved and you saved, he can keep the drug addict saved. He can keep the harmonger saved. And he can keep the adulterer saved. There's far too much of this in our churches today. And far too much of it is really permeating our independent Baptist movement. Twice in my life as a preacher, as your pastor, I've had these moments of personal crisis. I don't talk about them a whole lot. Renee knows about them. Where where things, just to be candid with you, don't turn your nose up when I say this, but things that I was hearing about me and the church from other preachers weighed heavily on me. Twice in 21 years. That ain't bad for being here 21 years. Now, don't, don't don't look so hypocritical at me. And in both times, I've talked to my mentor and spiritual hero, Dr. Johnny Pope. He's helped me so much. I'm going to tell you what he said the second one. The first time was this whole time I've told you about where I was trying to debate if I was going to keep pastoring and trying to do the college, where I was going to keep trying to do both and, and knew I was going to keep pastoring, but could I keep doing the college? Anyway, and he's the one who said to me, Greg, don't give it up. God needs you. But it was the second one about 10 years ago, not long after we merged. And those of you who've been here, you know that shortly after we merged, We were, folks were so curious about us. In a community where Baptist churches split on every corner, there was this idea two Baptist churches coming together to form the longest name in America. What are they about? And all these people started coming, I think out of curiosity as much as anything else. 
and folks got saved and family started joining and we went for eight weeks uh, where somebody joined or somebody got saved and man, the word started getting out and I don't want to be unkind, but when God starts blessing, uh, you better believe there'll be some out there who start criticizing. And it's, I love you, it's not usually the lost people that criticize the church. Uh, it's other saved people that criticize the church. And so some of the things I was hearing about me, about my family, and about the church, and how compromising we were, and how we'd abandon our principles, and how we'd walked away from doctrine, and how ecumenical we'd become, and, and it just got to me. And so I called up Johnny Pope, and I said, you got a minute? He said, sure. He always calls me, Dr. Greg, what's on your mind? And I told him. He chuckled, and he said, preacher, his words, I call it the doctrine of the small pond. I said, Brother Pope, I don't mean to be unkind, but I've never seen that doctrine in my Bible. Where'd you pull that from? He said, it's not a biblical doctrine, son. It's a human doctrine. He said, when a, when a man's pond begins to shrink, their tendency is to look at everybody who ain't in their pond and say, something's wrong with that fish. When everybody's not in my pond, uh, it's not my pond that's the problem. Uh, it's everybody else's fish that's the problem. Uh, and God knows my heart. He said to me, uh, understand, Greg, uh, that sometimes uh, God wants you to look at the ocean. Uh, God wants you to see that there's an entire filled ocean out there. Uh, and we get focused on our little ponds. Uh, realize uh, that God called us to be fishermen. Uh, and he said, go wherever you can to reel them in. Uh, don't focus on the little ponds because after a while, uh, the little ponds will drown you. I thought, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking, Brother Pope. <laughs> his resentment can be seen in his motives. His resentment also can be seen in his mentality. This boy was proud, he was arrogant, and he's angry. The reality is when he should have gone inside celebrating with his Younger brother, all he can do is pout, whine, and complain. You want to know what's really wrong with him? Want to know? Look at verse 30. Soon as thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. I don't see anywhere where daddy or the boys talked about what this son's been doing. This fella immediately jumps to this idea. And he says, because of that, you want to kill the fatted calf. Uh, this boy's problem can be summed up in one word. He's jealous. He's jealous of what the, I think, of what the younger brother's been doing. And perhaps in his own heart he thought, man, if I can get a celebration, why am I not out there doing that? If you can get celebrated for living that way, why am I not out there? And so he folds his shoulders, folds his arms, puts his head back and says, I'm not going in. Did you look at me, folks? That is legalism personified. 
That's the very personification of legalism. Hear me this morning. You ain't got to be a drunk to be out of God's will. You don't have to be an adulterer to be far from God spiritually. You can serve your church, sing in the choir, teach Sunday school. You might look as good as anybody, but you can still have a heart filled with lust, filled with envy, filled with pride. In many ways, this older brother is worse than the younger brother. Finally, this morning, his reaction. Notice, he refused his father's plea. I know what time it is. I'm hurrying. Father went out and treated him. In treated him. Means he begged him. Pleaded with him. If you'll notice in verse 12, we're not going to read it. When the son comes home, or when the son reads, meet, uh, uh, speaks to his father, he calls him father. He shows him the term of respect, but this older brother won't even do that. And he very publicly, this older brother, in front of the servants, hear me, in front of the servants, he very publicly chastises his own father. Think about that for just a second. He very publicly says, this is wrong. You shouldn't be doing this. I'm not coming in there. I'm not doing it. And shame on you, daddy. He refused his father's plea. He refused his father's promise. If you look at verse number 31, he said to him, son. And by saying son, he's showing him the term of respect that the son refused to give the father. He said, son, thou art ever with me. And all that I have is thine. Can I tell you what led me to this passage? few weeks ago or this message three four weeks ago when I was studying to give you the message on the lost sheep reading through this chapter thousandth time probably you know what dawned on me everybody in this whole chapter is happy but him I want you to think about this for a second parable of the lost sheep shepherd's happy shepherd's friends are happy sheep's thrilled parable of the lost silver woman's happy Woman calls up her friends. They're happy. That same passage says, even the angels in heaven are rejoicing. They're happy. Parable of the lost son. Daddy's happy. The younger brother's happy. The people around are happy. The servants are happy. In all of Luke 15, there's one person who ain't happy. It's the older boy. You know why? Because he chose not to be. Because he chose to be miserable. I love you this morning, but God deliver us from these believers who've been saved 50 years and ain't had a good day yet. God help us to not be the kind of Christian where somebody's afraid to come up and ask, how are you? Because we really tell them how bad things are and how wretched it is to be us and how horrible things are in our life and how if they were us, they'd understand just how miserable we are. I'm not trying to minimize what anybody's going through. I know you got difficulties. I know you got challenges. I know you got pain, but you've also got a good God and you've got a heavenly father and you've got a big brother named Jesus. And in the worst case scenario, you got a home on the other side. So in reality is, We've got nothing to complain about. Pain is inevitable, but misery is optional. Misery is optional. You just stand to your feet this morning, but look at me. You don't have to bow yet. Look at me. Let's stand up. Come on, Brother Ken. Have you ever noticed that this is an open 
ended story. We have absolutely no idea what happened to this boy. Did he go in? We don't know. Did he stay outside and pout the whole time and miss the entire celebration? I don't know. Did he swallow his pride and say, what daddy's offering me is more than what I deserve to begin with? I don't know. And I think the reality is, the reason we don't know is because God wants every one of us to write our own ending for this. I think God wants every one of us to answer this for ourselves. Are we going to be the kind of person who, like the younger brother, says, God, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for taking me back. I know I made a mess of it. I'm so sorry. I'll just be one of your servants if you'll let me back home. Or are we going to be like the older brother who said, I was always right to begin with. We need a whole lot more prodigals in our churches and a whole lot fewer older brothers. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? I want to ask you a simple question today, maybe two. How many of you would be honest and say, Preacher, there are some things in my heart and in my life I know I need to get right with God. Pray for me this morning. I'm seeing a lot of hands go up. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. Thank you. You can put that down. Thank you so much. If you raised your hand, might I encourage you to step out right now. Make your way to this altar. We're not going to have a long invitation. Just going to have a verse or two. So if you raised your hand, come on this morning. Thank you for moving. Now let me ask you a second question. Anybody in the building that would just be honest and say, Preacher, I'm, I'm the prodigal son. I'm away from the will of God for my life. Pray for me this morning. Anyone like that? Thank you so much. And finally, is there anyone in the building that would just say, Preacher, if I died today, I'm not sure heaven would be my home. Pray for me this morning. Father, bless the invitation. Brother Ken, as he sings, in Jesus' name, sing for us, Brother Ken. If you raised your hand, would you come this morning? Thou art the potter. thy will.
do one more. I love him so. All over the building, sing now. I love him so. Hey, oh man, you love him this morning. As he begin to your church. Amen. Right after service, security team right, right up here at the front. Brother Ken dismisses in prayer. Thank you for being here this morning. May God bless you. Brother Ken. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, Lord, for the message today. God, what a challenge. Father, no doubt we all need to hear this today, Lord, and I pray, Father, that we'll apply it to our lives. God, thank you for a pastor, Lord, who minds the mind of God and, and preaches what you want him to preach. God, we just thank you, Lord, for the faithfulness of your people to be here today. And, Father, for those who are not able to be with us, battling sicknesses, God, and going through things, God, we pray, Lord, do a touch and work in that area. Father, we just want to say we love you today. Thank you for loving us. It's in Christ's name we do pray. Amen.